0: Good morning. Good morning. Today's reading will be taken from Second Kings chapter 5, verse 19b to 27. So the second half of 19 to 27. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond thanks be to God. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servants didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariots to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning to everyone. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Thank you. Um, nice to see you all again, and especially if you're here for the first time. I know initially when they announced that, that uh, we didn't have any visitors, but I think somebody came in that probably is the first time. So um, welcome. We started a new series. It's called Idols and the City. Idols and the City. And basically, what we're trying to do is we're going through, living in Lagos. Um, there are so many things that human beings worship. We all worship something, and we tried to establish that in the last time. The question is this, who do you worship? And now, if, if you're not a Christian, from Christian uh, because we only believe in one God, if you're worshiping something else, we call that an idol. And Christians believe that these things aren't good things. They're really destructive things. And the three main idols that we see in our city are money, sex, and power. So this series, we're examining those three things. So last time we started, um, uh, the first sermon, and we're still looking um, at money. So let's go into this. Now, um, they introduced me as lead pastor. That's, that's one title I have here. It's fine. But that's not really the title I like. The title I'm most fond of is the storyteller in chief. You know, I love to tell stories. And for me, it's an expression of generosity to you guys. So I want to make you guys feel good by telling you a story. Who wants to hear a story? Yeah? No, you can do better. Who wants to hear a story? Okay, remember, I'm also the lead pastor, all right? So you want to hear a story. Who wants to hear a story? Good. Story, story. Story. Once upon a time. It's called the story of the greedy mouse. A greedy mouse saw a basket full of corn. He wanted to eat it. So he made a small hole in the basket. He squeezed in through the hole. He ate a lot of corn. He felt full and was very happy. Now, he wanted to come out. He tried to come out through the small hole. He could not. His belly was full. He tried again, but it was of no use. The mouse started crying. A rabbit was passing by. He heard the mouse's cry and asked, Why are you crying, my friend? The mouse explained, I have have made a small hole and came into a basket to eat corn. Now, I am not able to get out through that hole. The rabbit said, It's because you ate too much. Wait till your belly shrinks. The rabbit laughed and went away. The mouse fell asleep in the basket. The next morning, his belly had shrunk, but he wanted to eat some more corn. He forgot all about getting out of the basket. So he ate the corn, and his belly was really big again. After eating, the mouse remembered that he had had to escape, but obviously he could not. So he thought, oh, now I'll go out tomorrow. The cat was the next passerby. He smelled the mouse in the basket. He lifted its lid and ate the mouse. The end. You all feel good, don't you? <laughs> now, when we was growing up, stories like that that we heard in relation to the, 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 the topic of greed. They never ended well. Universally, not just here, but I was in the West, in the Far East, Almost all cultures and all religions have always said, greed is bad. Greed is bad. But then there was a shift and a change. In the 80s, in corporate, particularly corporate America, but corporate Britain and corporate America, um, things started to change. There was a new narrative that was introduced. Now, this narrative, I think, was epitomized in a 1987 classic movie called Wall Street. It was uh, starring Michael Douglas. It was the, the lone movie that he won his Oscar for. Now, we're going to show a clip uh, from that movie, but let me just set the context. The context is, is, is a stakeholders' meeting, share, shareholders' meeting of a paper company. Now, as with all shareholder company, uh, uh, meetings, after the management have done their presentation, then they put the mic, and people then contribute. The shareholders want to know why is this happening, why is that happening. Now, there's a guy that is going to be speaking here. His name is Gordon Gecko. Now, um, Gordon specializes in going to companies. He buys them, failing companies. He buys them. He breaks them up. And then he sells them. <laughs> Was I wasting too much time or something? <laughs> so he sells them, and he makes a profit. Right? That's what he does. And then the people that invested in him, he can give them back. So that's what he does. So Gordon is the person that is going to be speaking here. And let's hear this one-minute clip, or watch this one-minute clip.
2: of evolution in corporate America seems to be survival of the unfittest. well in my book you either do it right or you get eliminated in the last seven deals that I've been involved with there were 2.5 million stockholders who have made a pre-tax profit of 12 billion dollars thank you I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed. In all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much.
1: Why aren't we clapping? Now this new narrative great is good. What essentially is saying is this company is folding up, the management are living large, why should we allow it to continue? Let me buy this company. I don't destroy companies. When I buy it and I break it up and I sell it, I liberate it from its misery. So you don't have people working in a place where there's loss and also some people can get to make some money. What's bad in that? Really, nothing is bad in that. The problem is that God in Gecko wants to take you from the end to justify the means. If at the end of the day, people are liberated from making losses, and some people also make a very good profit, if at the end of the day that happens, then the thing that drives me, who is going to do that, the thing that drives me must be good. And let me tell you what drives me, greed. It's the greed that motivates me to enable me to liberate these companies from their dying days. And so the question to ask is, are we just being children? At the end of the day, the greedy mouse is a story really for children. And people with this philosophy, and I have to tell you, many of the people in corporate Lagos, we're drinking from that. Some of you are working in those places. Greed is good. Yes, we may be childish about it and say, well, let's, let's you know play to religions and all of that. But ultimately, it creates wealth. Greed is good. Who can argue against that? Well, if the greedy man story is too simplistic, the story that we read here today, I think, addresses it. Addresses it in a more profound and deep way. Because what it's going to show us, before I just quickly give us the background, is greed isn't good. There's a whole lot more that is going on behind that. So the background of this story is Naaman is a Syrian general. And he has been miraculously healed from leprosy uh, through Elijah, an Israeli prophet. So he goes from Syria to go and meet a prophet in Israel. Now he's initially skeptical about the prophet's methods. But ultimately, he does what the prophet tells him to do. He goes to bathe himself in a river. And then he's healed. Now, when he trusts the prophet, it means that he also trusts the God that the prophet represents. So he says that now I know, in verse uh, verse, um, 15, now I know know that there is no God but the God in Israel. Now, after that, he offers Elisha, the prophet, a gift. But Elisha refuses. Then Nehman persists. He tries to give it to him, but still he persists that he's not going to accept. And then after that, he bid him farewell, and Naaman goes. And that is where we meet the story. Because now, in the second part of the story, there's a new character that is inserted there. His name is Gehazi, Gehazi, whatever. And he is a servant to Elisha. So I want us to look at this sermon. We've called it The Leprosy of Greed, and we'll consider it in these three points one, the anatomy of greed, two, the unravelling of greed, and three, the cure for greed. The anatomy for greed of greed, the unravelling of greed, and the cure for greed. So let's start. The first one, anatomy of greed. Now, if we look in verses 20 to 24, what is basically happening is, Gehazi has consulted with himself. He said, my master was too easy on Naaman, this I remain, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives... I'll run after him and get something. So he's consulting with himself. I'm going to go after this guy. And when he went after him verses 21-22, he eventually got clothes and he got money from him. And so when the servant, Naman gives uh, two of his servants to take the things back, and then eventually he, you know, they live up there ever, ever after. Not quite. Now, when you read that, you think, well, Elijah is a bit of a legalist. I mean, what's there? This guy came with a lot of gifts. Why can't he just collect small? And let's be honest, we don't know Gehazi's context. Maybe Gehazi had a wife, right? And the wife has been nagging all along about the fact that they can't only take just or every time. It could be. So part of the money was to deal with his nagging wife. Or maybe he had a mother who had cancer, right? Or maybe he had um, children who he wanted to change their school. Now I'm not trying to justify, but I'm saying that Gehazi is a person, a man of like passions like you and I, right? So he went, he did something that wasn't really good. It's not really good, but he just collected two talents of silver, just two, and two sets of clothing. What's so bad in that? It's not, it's not the best. But it's not so bad. Just two talents of silver. Ah. Do you know what two talents of silver is? It is the equivalent of paying a common laborer their wage for 600 years. You see, Gehazi got paid. Like he cleaned up. It was Ghana must go. I know, I'm not joking. If, if it was just simple money, what did Neyman do? Nehman sent what? Two of his servants to carry it there. This is clean, Ghana must go. And there are no monkeys and snakes to eat it. He carried that. Then you now say, okay, that's 600. But, you know, if Gehazi upgrades his lifestyle, he needs to buy clothes. He needs to spend money on clothes. Guess what? Nehman has taken care of that as well. He didn't give him two clothes. To, you know, he gave him two what? Sex. This is like, this is like, um, I know those in the South-South, right? For instance, South-South, sorry. I, the last sermon, I, I, I picked on your bad people. But it, was, it didn't really flow because it was not really true. But those in the South-South, as the minister will tell you, uh, or no, actually, Zeno should tell you, when it's time to get married, and you have to give the woman clothes, right? Like the fabric and all of those things. Who be tired if you just went and brought one fabric? You must be insane. Eh? Suitcase, do you understand? Suitcase, Gehazi cleaned up. Like his pension was sorted, his children's pension was sorted, his children's children was sorted. And the Bible says that it is a good man that leaves what inheritance for cleaned. It can't be that bad. In other words, Gazi got paid. But he got paid more than he deserved, more than he needed. I like a definition of greed from a, a lecturer at Oxford who was writing in psychology today. And he said, greed is the excessive desire for more than is needed or deserved, not for the greater good, but for one's own selfish interest. I mean, even this remark, how could he allow this I mean, it was an ethnocentrist remark or a racist remark. And greed is not just wanting it. It's the motivation behind it. You see, the Bible goes deeper. If you read Colossians 3.5 and Ephesians five five, it says something about greed. Listen. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Or, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I don't forget what idolatry is. Idolatry is when you take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing. Money is good. When money becomes an ultimate thing, when money becomes an idol, as we see, through greed, you have a horrible thing. And that horrible thing leads us to do at least two things. And we see two things here that Gehazi does. One, greed enables you to objectify people. And two, greed blinds you. What do I mean by that? Objectifying people. Look at verse 20b. It says, As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. This is a very chilling statement. I will run after him and get something from him. When Gehazi is running after Nehemiah, he is not really running after Neyman. I hope you know. He is running after the something that Neyman has. For Gehazi, the something is more valuable than Neyman. What greed does to you is that it makes you objectify persons and then you personify objects. You treat human beings like things, and then you treat a thing like it's a human being. Gehazi wanted the something. Elijah and the God of Israel had treated Naaman as a person and didn't care about the thing. They treated him as an image bearer of God. For Gehazi, like many times, or many of us, people become ATM machines. When you see them, you just see an ATM machine. Just like um, nursing mothers, right? When their children come, the only thing they just see is how they're going to get food. They don't actually see, they, they don't care about that. It's just food, 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 food. That's all they see. And in the same way, this is what greed does. When you see people, they become stepping stones to your success. I'm reminded of The Apprentice. I don't know if any of I think they used to do The Apprentice here at one point. Well, The Apprentice actually was a very important show. It actually made somebody a president. But if The Apprentice in in Britain, you know, one of the contestants, uh, Apprentice is this show where, People contest, they, they're put before a business module, and then he takes them through different tasks over a number of weeks, and then the winner becomes an employee or a business partner. So in The Apprentice, there was one of the guys that spoke. He said, he said I don't really care. When people say, uh, I don't care about how many people I offend when I'm going up. He said, you know why? Because I'm not going to see, I won't see them coming down because I'm not coming down. In other words, who are the people that he offending? They are all steps. He sees them as steps. So let's say I see Zeno, and I know Zeno, man. Zeno can take me. He can take me to one level. You know, steps are about levels. So I see Zeno, and I pile up with Zeno. Hey, Zeno, what's up? You know, anything you need, you know, let me know. How's your wife? How are you doing? How are your children? You know, you know. are you looking for a school? You know, I pile you up with, oh, the two children, twins, coming. Uh, I pile you up with, how are they doing? You know, so I care for Zeno. But after Zeno and I hang out for a while, I'm now on that level. I know that Zeno knows Temisa. Temisa is at a level higher than Zeno. Amen? <laughs> so... I'm like, man, I'm at this level now. Zeno, this step is gone. There's another step. So what do I need to do? I need to step up. So Zeno he introduced me to Temisa. Hey, Temisa, what's up? How are your children? How are you doing? If you never need any help, then Zeno now calls me. Ah, Femi, can we meet up? I need to see you for something. Ah, Zeno, I don't have time, man. I don't have time. He calls me again. I don't pick up. Then after, I block his number. Why? Because the step is gone. And who cares about Zeno? Because after saying, I'm rising up again. I ain't coming down, know. Sorry. It becomes an object. We objectify people. It's the same reason why people, for the sake of greed, can take their bodies, which are, which are sacred temples, and we turn them into commodified objects. Why? Because we are serving a God that objectifies persons and makes us personify objects. The other thing it does is that it blinds us. Now there's another remarkable verse here. It's a very funny verse and it's positive. I'll show you why. Verse 25. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere. Gehazi answered. Ah. He didn't go anywhere. The problem is not the lie. The problem is not the lie. It's that that he lied. The problem is not the lie, but that he lied to Elisha. What do I mean? This is 2 Kings 5. Do you know what happened in 2 Kings 4? One, Elisha took a jar of oil that belonged to a woman who had debts and had two children, and creditors were coming to carry those children. Elisha multiplied that jar of oil, so that she was able to pay all her debts, and still keep some for herself. In 2 Kings 4 again, that same Elisha raised a woman's son, who had died, he raised him to life. As if that weren't enough, this Elisha, a group of prophets came, they started eating from something the thing had poisoned, Elisha just did a couple of things there, and he Save them. None of them died. As if that wasn't enough. This Elisha was given 20 loaves of bread. There were 100 people that were there. Elisha, this mighty man, multiplied the 20 loaves. He fed the 100 people. As if that weren't enough. This Elisha killed a man of leprosy. Guess who was present for all of them? Gehazi. uh, Gehazi, where did you go? (laughs) I didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Did he think he wouldn't know? He should have known This is not the kind of trick you pull up with this guy. This is a mighty man of God. And he didn't know at that point. And that is very crucial. Why? Because greed blinds us. It blinds us by creating its own reality and bringing us into that reality. And we forget what real reality is. It's for no reason that Jesus said, watch out for greed in Luke 12. Why did he say watch out for greed? It's like saying watch out for sin. You know, imagine Jesus said, Watch out for adultery. Like, ah, I was in this thing, oh yeah. And somebody comes, up, ah, me, you are committing adultery. And I say, Really? I didn't know. Is this adultery? I didn't know. Is this how you do it? Nobody if you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. Like, ooh, oops, ow, I fell. <laughs> adultery. Why does he say watch out for greed? Do you know why? Because when people are greedy, they don't know they are greedy, or they don't want to admit that they are greedy. Greediness blinds us. It finds ways of morphing. So you would always identify greedy people, but you never identify the greed in your life. Let me tell you how it does it. One way it does it. And please, another plug for our gospel communities, because you'll learn more about this in the gospel community curriculum, which is Gospel Center Life at Work. But when you think about idols and how they work in our life, you have to think of two categories, surface idols and deep idols. Surface idols, deep idols. Deep idols, you you can't see. Surface idols, you can see. So let's take this context. For instance, a surface idol is money. So when you see people with money, you just, oh, they're all going after money. Money is the idol. But there are deep idols that greed expresses itself in, like security, approval control so what does greed do it expresses itself in deep idols but then it works through surface idols let's say that together greed expresses itself in surface uh, in deep idols and works through surface idols so let me give you an example you say oh okay what if you are suffering with your deep idol is security how would you deal, how, how would deal greed with uh, deal how great deal with money? One, if you are suffering with security, you will save lavishly for yourself to feel secure. Say I contribute to this thing. Ah, no, no, no. I, I, I don't have money. He's putting money aside for all this. Ah, what about this? Ah, no, no. This person is dying. Eh, people are always dying every day. But <laughs> you know, you have two pensions. And after the, after the voluntary contribution, after the normal contribution, there is now additional voluntary contribution. And after that, there's that investment, that one. Then there's the fixed bonds, and there's the, all of those things. And you still don't feel secure. And you wouldn't call it greed, why? Because you drive one jalopy. I'm, you know, I don't do more than myself. You know, I'm just a humble man. No, greed is working that person because he saves lavishly on himself to feel secure. What about the approval? There are all these people that eh? All these people that just save. Save all the time. Approval. You spend lavishly on yourself to gain the approval of others. Back in the day, we used to call it step out, dress to kill. You know, that, you know what I mean. You know there are some days like some of you came in today, you just feel okay. But there are some, some days that you know, like you go into the mirror like, some guys, you know, you put the thing, you put on your jacket, you put the pocket square, it's sinking. You pull it up like that, you know. You shave, all of those things. And you look like, ah, dress to kill. They go, no. Because who don't know? Who know? Just look at me. They don't know anything. They just know you're a bush person. I just want everybody to know. You are seeking the approval of others by spending so much on yourself. Because for so many people, money is an identifier. It defines you, and so you want, to, you want people to know that I have made it. You spend so much. Go and check their savings account. No. Every time you want to pay for something, current or savings. Current. Savings will bounce. And then, what if you are dealing with control? Control, you spend lavishly on others to gain control over them. Oh, you're so generous. Now, lie. Have you ever heard the Godfather? One day, you know, after he's done a favor for you, he so say, one day, I'm going to make you an offer which you can't refuse. You spend on people so that, ah, can you imagine? And look at the way he's talked to me. Has he forgotten? Even that shoe that she's wearing herself. Is he not? So you, you're happy that people start coming, running to you. The money is not because, that you spend on them is not because you're generous, it's because your idol is control. Now, as if this thing doesn't change us enough, there are consequences for greed. That takes me to my second point. Now, if you notice, the second point is the unraveling of greed. If you notice, there's a close relationship between Neiman and Gehazi's stories. Neiman starts as a leper and he's cured. Gehazi starts as someone without leprosy and ends with leprosy, right? Now, but let me ask you a question. Have you had any of these two experiences? Just please indulge. Me. Have you ever eaten food? That the it smells so nice, smells so nice, they, and you know it looks so good. You know this kind where. Let me just let me be honest. Has Aruma called your name before? <laughs> you yes, uh, just yes, what's that? Like, Funayo, eh? Who is that? <laughs> like ah, ah, what is smelling in this place? And so you are waiting, you are gearing up. It's like man, this thing will just come, just just. Where is the salt? Oh, there's no pepper inside this thing. You eat. Have you ever eaten something that looked so good, smelled so good, and yet when you ate it, it didn't taste good? Hands up. Ah. It's your cooking that made that. (laughs) Oh, have you experienced the converse? Who knows what efferine soup is? Efferine, right? That thing is ugly. I mean, it looks like, I won't use the word that it looks like, but it looks like it. My wife used to eat it. I'm like, how can you eat it with Fish? This thing is green and it's just so messy. And one day there was no food. She was pregnant. I couldn't. She forced. No, she blackmailed me. Emotional blackmail. And you know, Zeno, you know that thing, right? You have to do it. You just have to do it. She's like, if you don't, I will never, ever. Okay, I'll eat. So I went. I ate the thing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's surprising. This thing is sweet. In both instances, we are surprised. Why? Because we expect the inside, that is, uh, the outside, that is, the taste, uh, the appearance and the smell, to be consistent with what? The inside, that is, the taste. And Naaman's leprosy was, uh, was consistent, the outside on the skin, was consistent with the leprosy in his heart. And the same thing with Gehazi. You see, leprosy... At this heart, a leprosy of heart greed it indicates to us that we are spiritually sick. Uh, remember, Naaman, when he went there, was a server of the Syrian God. It was when Elijah healed him that he said that now I know there is no God but the God of Israel. In other words, his le- the leprosy of his heart had changed and therefore it now manifested on the outside in the skin. And with Gehazi, it's the same thing. He started, off, he started off well, but when the greed manifested, God just allowed the leprosy of the heart to be manifested on his skin. The skin became a mirror for what was going on in his heart. Let me ask you a question. If God were to allow your skin to be manifested, to manifest what is in your heart, what do you think you would look like? You see, because Gehazi's judgment, which comes in verse 27, when uh, he says, Nehman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Gehazi's judgment was just an outworking of what was already there. Many times in the Bible, judgment is not so much what God does to us, it's God giving us over to ourselves. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, there are two people in this world. The ones who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says, your will be done. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6, it says this, in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, it says, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor the greedy will inherit the kingdom of God. Or put it another way, 1 Timothy 6 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It destroys, personally. Two ways it destroys you personally. is One, it's through elusiveness. You never get what you worship. It's like gambling. We are told in gambling, you should know this if you are gambling. Please stop it. Because the house always wins. It's stacked up against you. You say I have won before. You won before because you won once in 100 times. Guess what? You lost 99 times. You're a loser. It's stacked up against you. But because of greed, people keep going after it. They never get what they want, and they destroy themselves while doing it. Another way it works is what we can call uncertainty. You never get what you or you get what you want, but at the point you get it, you want more. Again, the guy in Oxford, he says, our culture's emphasis on greed is such that people have become immune to satisfaction. Having acquired one thing, they're immediately ready to desire the next thing that might suggest itself. Today, the object of desire is no longer satisfaction, but desire itself. You know what that means? I wanted this thing. I got it. The moment I got it, because I already had it, the moment I got it, I realized that Lola had three of it. So now I want three of it. The moment I get it, because Lola has it, I now realize that Temisa has 20 of it. So now I want 20. You will never be satisfied. The object of desire is no longer satisfaction. It is desire itself. This is how it starts to destroy us. But then I hear somebody like Gordon Gecko say, OK, can't we just leave people to their own destruction?" If greed destroys them, it doesn't affect me. And, in fact, it can be destroying him, but the motivation, the drive that I have from greed enables me to create jobs. And when I create jobs and I make more money, the society prospers. So greed is still kind of good. It's not good for the person that it destroys, but it's good for society. So what's your problem? Now, this story won't still allow us. Notice it says, Leprosy will cling on you, alone, and on your descendants, what, forever. The destruction and the consequences that greed brings is not only for, it doesn't only have personal implications, it has social, collective implications. And let me illustrate by giving a a little bit of an extended example. Now... I'm going to, some of the financial people here will say I'm, I'm being too simplistic, but just indulge me a little bit. If Temidaya wants to buy a house that he can't fully afford, let's say the house is 100,000 naira, right? The way normally this would be done in the West is that Temidaya maybe would have saved up some money. So he goes, he can't buy the house, he's got 10,000 naira. So what does Temidaya need? He needs somebody to lend him 90,000. In other words, he needs a mortgage loan. Now, imagine there were 500 temidayos. Well, the lenders and the and the people that are customers they can't, you know, keep conducting, you know, business like that. So there's somebody that needs to be in the middle. That is a mortgage bank, all right. So the investors give to the mortgage bank, and those ones lend to the customers. Now, the way it will work is that temidayo will bring that ten thousand naira is like a deposit. It's ninety thousand that is left. Then temidayo. Has to then pay an interest. Let's say that interest is 66.6%. That works out to 60,000. So he has the 90,000 he has to pay back, but 60,000, and they say pay that over 20 years. So he has 150,000 to pay back over 20 years, right? So if it all works well, Timidel pays back the 150,000. But before that, he has gotten his home earlier than expected. Eventually, the bank. And the, um, the lenders will make money. Everybody is happy. It all wins. Let me tell you something. God is proud of that kind of system. That is a system that creates wealth but makes everyone happy. Now, remember, the system has to w- It can only really work with Temidile's ability to pay back. Right? So in order for the banks to know that, they have to judge him. And West, they normally have something called a credit rating system. Now, this credit rating system will judge his ability to pay back through by looking at his income, looking at his assets, and looking at his job. Job, income, and assets. Those three things. Now, based on those things, he can have a you have a credit rating score. A high score means that Temidio is a prime target, a prime target for a loan. If he has a low score, that means he is a subprime target for that loan. Now as I said, the system works very well until something is introduced. Greed. By greed, what do I mean? Remember the definition. It is wanting, It is getting something. Let me put it this way. Somebody wants to win more than he should. All of them were winning, but now he wants to win more than he should. So greed got introduced to the system. And what started happening initially was people said, you know what, why don't we offer guys with low credit rating scores? All we now have to do is, because they are high risk, we have to increase their interest rates. So they started offering what we call subprime mortgages, or subprime loans. It got so bad that they were not just offering people with very low scores. They were throwing out stuff we call ninja loans. Ninja. You know what ninja is? No income, no job, no assets. They were giving people with no income, no job, no assets, and those people didn't have to drop any deposits. And so rather than 66% uh, 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 interest rate, you could have 800%. And you wouldn't know, because they disguised it in a particular way. But the, the banks were happy because they were making a killing. We are giving more and more people loans. Even if they bottom out, You know, at the end of the day, we still get most of the money within three years that we could have got in 20 years. They were getting richer and richer and richer. Until one day, they said, when jungle mature, who no know, go no? Know? Monkey go go market one day, you no know go return. Eventually, more and more people, thousands, tens of thousands of people started to default on their loans. They couldn't pay back. That caused a shock throughout the whole system that affected the whole world. That's what led to the 2008 financial crisis. And you tell me that greed only has personal consequences. Whilst people were getting rich, eventually people lost their jobs, people lost their assets, people lost their marriages, people lost their lives. Eventually, greed will come back to hurt us. And what's most tragic, as we read further in the Bible, is that it not only these personal and social manifestations of the consequences of greed further point to the eternal consequences of greed. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, it says... Those who are greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that not inheriting the kingdom of God is not just so much that God excludes them. It is that they excluded themselves, the outworking of what was in our hearts. Now, I'm not going to leave the story there, like the greedy mouse. Let's take it to the third point, because there is a cure for greed. Third point, the cure for greed but I want you to still remember, the reason why Gehazi's actions were so diabolical wasn't just because he made a killing. Was what the message he was sending to the people around there. You see, the other prophets of the other pagan deities, this is exactly what they were doing. When you want to get something, you want to get healing, you have to bring a lot of money. Imagine, religious system based on greed. Where have you seen that before? He was, he was presenting a wrong view of God. Neymar, uh, Elisha and God had healed Gehazi for free, free grace. And Gehazi, with greed, was inverting it. That's why it was horrible. And that's why it's described in the language of leprosy. Leprosy, if you read in Numbers 5, 1 to 4, it, was, it wasn't just the kind of disease that could infect biologically, and so they put people outside of the camp, but it made you ceremonially unclean. They couldn't go near the, the sanctuary. They couldn't do all of these things. And if you touched a leper, even if you were unclean, guess what? You became unclean. Because, you know, if you wear very nice white guinea brocade or satin or whatever, and you go out to a put that is very sweet, and you just do poop. You know, you're taking the meat. The meat didn't, it didn't remove. You know that one that is struggling, and you just pow. Does the whiteness um, uh, rub off the palm oil? No, it stains. If you touch a leper, you are unclean. And that's the same way it works in our heart. Grief doesn't just stay in one place. It becomes very pervasive. It's poisonous. It makes our hearts hard. And then it also disguises itself. So how can we be delivered from this leprous heart? How can we be delivered from this heart of stone? How can we be delivered from its consequences? You know, in Luke 5, Jesus encountered some... A leper. I don't want to read everything, but you can read from 12, 13. And in 12, the leper wanted to be healed. And what did Jesus do? He touched the man, and the man became healed. Now, when you see two things from that place that you mustn't miss out on. One, Jesus was entirely gracious because he didn't collect anything, he didn't ask for anything from the leper. The only thing he asked from the leper was bring your leprosy, come. He healed him, and that was one. Well. The second thing is that Jesus is also powerful in two ways. One, he healed a leper. That was a big thing. But notice, how did he heal the leper? He touched him. Naaman and Elisha. Elisha did not even go out to see Neiman. He sent a message to Neiman. You think of Elisha, a powerful, mighty man. If he touched Gehazi, even the prophet himself would become unclean. told him to go and bath in a river. Jesus touched the leper. This is the white. Imagine the palm oil actually touching the white of your brocade and the palm oil just dissolving and it became white. Jesus is so powerful. Not only can he heal the disease of our heart, but when he touches it, he makes us clean. This is a picture of the gospel because in the gospel, what does it tell us? Jesus on the cross, as it were, became unclean. Receiving the eternal consequences for our sin, greed included, so that we can receive eternal cleanness. What do you have to bring? Nothing. Bring your leprous heart. Does it just heal the heart? No. If you are not a Christian, do you know what Jesus does? He makes a heart transplant. Because of what he did on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus fulfills the promise that was given to us in Ezekiel chapter 36, where he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will give you my spirit and move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. This is why that same one, Corinthians 6, when it says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor the greedy will inherit the kingdom of God You know what he then finishes with? And so were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you come with your leprous heart of greed to Jesus, what he does is that he takes that heart away. He gives you a new status and he puts his spirit in you so that you will not only be clean, he gives you the power to live a clean life. When you think your greed is hiding somewhere, the Holy Spirit in you shows you, or he brings somebody in church to say, I think you need to check on this. And we live the life of the gospel. Because the only cure for greed, as we see with Naaman, the only cure for that leprosy is living a life of grace. If you have received the grace of Christ, you know what you are meant to do? Act out in that grace. Jesus in Matthew says that freely have you received. So do what? Freely give. The inverse of grace is always generosity. The Bible never calls us. It doesn't say, come, because of greed, stop making money. No. It says your new motivation for making money is to add value into the world. Generously. If you do this, corporate social responsibility will not be a box-ticking exercise. It will not be a PR stunt. It will be something that you believe in. I have been freely given by the God of all grace, and so I give to others. Imagine our city was filled with people who are actually making money in our financial sectors, in our legal sectors, who are making money not for their own self-interest to keep this dog-eat-dog kind of system going on but to add value into this world. If, imagine if we had that flooded in our cities. Look, the idol of greed will be brought down and our city will see flourishing that you and I have never seen. Give Jesus your heart. Let him give you a heart of flesh. Let him give you his spirit. And let him empower you to live a life of grace. This is how we, could, we, this is how we get greed cured. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.